Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of The Real Debaters. We are supported by our friends at Proper Design Works, a custom clothing and embroidery manufacturer in our hometown of Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Proper Design Works has got you covered if you need one or two cool items or 50. All right, they've got their commercial big order side. We're a small podcast. They're a local small business. It's been a lovely marriage, and I just want to say they've been with us pretty much since the beginning of the show, and 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 I love you for it. So thanks, Chris, and, and to everybody down there. Um, point is, though, the commercial big business, big order side. Sorry, uh, the, um, the 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 ideas are limitless. Okay, uh, toques, patches, hats. If you have an idea and you want to put it on any of the things I've just mentioned, or T-shirts or sweaters or whatnot. They will help you out on mass. All right. If you're starting a new business and you've got you want some promotional wear to hand out to your customers, contact Proper Design Works. If you're a sports team or any sort of hobby team esque environment where there's multiple people that need shirts, uh, please go get your cool logo, your sports team on it. Make yourself look snazzy doing what you're doing with the help of an incredibly creative team. All right. Say you're an after school club and you guys want to look really threatening next time you got to do your thing. This is also another great reason. There's no great reason not to get new clothing or cool new ideas on clothing. You you see where I'm going with this? Then we're going to flip over to the custom clothing side, all right? They will work with you on making sure that you get something that's fitted to your body, like a bespoke tailored pair of jeans, for example. Jeans that feel so good on you that you don't even know you're wearing pants. That's my slogan for them. But uh, that's, that's what you get when you deal with custom clothing. It's designed for you, by you, and it doesn't look like 50 other people's shit. Right. So whether or not you need 50 of something or just one of something, Proper Design Works will help you out. Check them out on Instagram at Proper Design Works. And then you can email them to place your first order at info at properdesignworks.com. Again, that's at Proper Design Works and the email info at properdesignworks.com. We also have a event that I would like to tell you about. My friend Leanne Funk owns Winnipeg Supper Club. She's, she's a genius at finding local chefs from different companies and different restaurants, finding great venues, marrying the two, and creating a great night. And we haven't had one of these in a while, and I want to let you guys know about it because if you're like, where are all those cool things we used to do? This is how we start them again. We do these cool things. So she's hosting a Southern Barbecue and Blues Night at Torque Brewery in Winnipeg. It's unfortunately only for the Winnipeg locals, uh, which is which is why we're letting you know about it. Um, and it, it's going to be a it's going to be a blast. The chefs are from Loaf and Honey, a fantastic local catering company. They're going to be supplying you with piles of meat in all them southern fixins. Okay, uh, the the stuff you see on Food Network. And the stuff that you see on those Southern barbecue specials, that's what you're in for. All right. She's true to her talent. Um, show starts at 6 p.m. Dinner is, oh, sorry, I should rephrase. The dinner starts at 6 p.m. And then there's a concert after. Okay. It's a barbecue and blues night. Can't have barbecue and blues without each other. That just makes no sense. So who's playing? His name is Dustin Harder, and he's a local blues musician from Winnipeg. Great time to support local talent as well. They need to get their shit out there and sing or tell jokes or whatever. So another great reason to go and support local, okay? Uh, Like I said, it's at Torque Brewing. Um, It's on August 16th. You can get all your tickets at winnipegsupperclub.com, and they're only 85 bucks a ticket. For a concert and dinner, you know you're getting a steal of a deal, specifically in Winnipeg, right? So you you can't go wrong with something like this. You really can't. And like I said, if you're looking to bring the stuff back that you missed, you got to go to it. You got to support it. 
So please help out, Leanne. Please go check out some great beer, some great blues, some great food, and a great time in one great city. Somebody said that. That's not my line. Anyways, on to the show. This week, Simon Janes, a documentary filmmaker who owns Boogaloo Films in Winnipeg, has come on to be a part of our Manitobans Making Movies series. And he comes on to talk about his brand new documentary that he just finished about ice racing as well. Uh, he also talks to us about the process of making a documentary film and how you start. Because, I mean, everybody says, hey, you should make a documentary about that. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's who's on the show this week. And, and I'm super excited to get to work back to back with two great local Manitoba film professionals and learn more about their business. That's what this whole thing is about. So if you're local and you're in Manitoba and you want to come on the show and talk about your position in film in some way, shape or form, please contact us, the real debaters at gmail.com and follow us on Insta at, uh, real debaters. And uh, that's also on Twitter, too, at Real Debaters for both, spelt R-E-E-L, because, like I keep saying, we're cheeky motherfuckers. I got nothing else for you, so I give you Simon Janes. I'll cue the real, and you enjoy the show. at my, my office. I have an office in St. Boniface. Okay. Um, there's murons. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I've got a nice room where I've painted the walls gray and uh, I've got like 6500K bias lighting. So Ooh. a control panel for DaVinci Resolve. So yeah. Ooh, Sitting boy. in a dark room all day, actually. That's the Doug did yeah. tell me that you are a technical wizard. Yeah. Like you, you're go. really <laughs> into the tech. And you know what? Before we even continue, I should, I should ask you because I know the first name is Simon. How do we pronounce the last name? Yeah, James, J-A-Y, N for November, E-S. Okay. I always say that because uh, a lot of people say James. You know? I was, it was gonna, <laughs> I was like, did you misspell your name on your Facebook like I do sometimes? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, pleasure to have you here, Simon. Thank you for showing up to the living room. Thanks for having um, me. If, well, you were the first person who, when I put this shout out out there, was like, hey, listen, I run a little podcast in Winnipeg and I'd love to have all the film people on. You're the first guy to respond. So I, I, I have, you, you already have a soft spot in my heart for that because I was like, I'm going fishing and I hope this catches something. <laughs> yeah, well, you might not thank me at the end, but we'll see. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right. So like I've, I've always said in the past, it's the easiest to start at the beginning. So um, you own Boogaloo Films. Please in a you know a couple sentences what is boogaloo films what do you guys do for sure um post production you know corporate videos and uh, at the moment we're moving more into making films so, okay uh, moving away from the corporate video i mean everybody sort of starts there you know yeah um is yeah. it an easy place is it kind of where people cut their teeth well that's the, that's where there's a lot of competition and less kind of specialization i suppose okay you know so um as more and more as video becomes an easier thing for people to create um, and cameras, et cetera, get a little cheaper, then it's become a bit more of a competitive wor working <laughs> I place, would imagine, right? So, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so that's why I want to kind of get into more uh, specialist production, uh, and that's where I'm heading right now. Okay, all right. Um, now, you just mentioned something that I, I – as, as somebody who does their own marketing, I use a lot of web-based programs. Um, do you find – 
that a lot of people are getting into this industry just by going, hey, I use this web-based program and I know what I'm doing. Like, a gra- like I have a friend who's a graphic artist and I asked him for input before I made the logo. And then I took the logo and I kind of, I've been running with it and playing on websites like Canva and whatnot. Do you feel that your industry is now inundated with a lot of people who just go, hey, I did this thing online, now I know what I'm doing? Yeah, for sure. For some reason, it's uh, you know it's quite a rock and roll industry, right? People, yeah. People want to go to uh, to university to study film. Lots of you know younger people ask about making film and making video. Um, so that does make it challenging for entering the corporate video production market, because um, the sort of things we'll maybe talk about me a little later is where production gets a little more high end. Okay. Uh, and then you go into color grading and visual effects and stuff like that. But um, the majority of people don't really care, right? Like, uh, you know, whether the skin doesn't look quite right or whether the blacks don't look quite black, most people don't care. Yeah, right? like so, to, the, to the, the layman, right? Mm-hmm. I guess, okay, yeah. all right. So it becomes, yeah, there's more and more people qualifying every year from Red River College, and then there's only so many people that need corporate videos. So, yeah, oh, I'm trying to find yeah. something a little different to do. Sure, yeah, mm-hmm. put your put your own spin on it, do mm-hmm. your own niche thing. Um, like I mentioned, we like to start at the beginning here because it is the easiest place to start. So yeah. you were originally not from Manitoba, is that correct? Correct. Okay, where are you from originally? Uh, I'm from South Wales. Okay. In the UK. Kind of yeah. picked up on that a little. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Luckily, I don't have a very, very strong Welsh accent. Okay. Uh, is that hard to, like... Yeah. Welsh and drunk is uh, is basically un- <laughs> untranslatable. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah. Uh, that's the probably the first place I'll be traveling once this COVID lock comes down. I want to go to the UK and do nice. some of Europe with the wife, so... Um, I'll, I'll be in touch with you about how to translate drunk Welsh. Yeah, going there you forward. go. <laughs> not um, that I'm drunk right now, obviously. Yeah, no. <laughs> One cider. We, we're, we're, yeah, we're, we're not okay. that big of a lightweight. Yeah. <laughs> so you, uh, you t- did you take schooling out there for that, or did you come to Canada to go to school for, for media production? Yeah, in 1999. So uh, I feel like pretty old when I say that. That's Ooh. when I started my university course in Swansea, okay. South Wales. Uh, that's where Catherine Zeta-Jones is from. So Okay. Yeah, little claim to fame. Um yeah, and I, when I first went to university, you know, I wanted to be making, making films and documentaries and exciting stuff like that, just like everyone else. Um, but when I left university, actually, I fell into live production. Okay. So I worked as a technical director, you guys call it here. In the UK, it's called a vision mixer. You're the person that sits in a truck next to the director, and the director calls all the cameras, you know, like camera one, camera two, camera three. Oh, like you, the Oscars when yeah. they're, like, going in between all the different, like, pull yeah. in here, pull out. Okay, all right. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, yeah. So um, I actually, you know, I did many different roles working up to being a technical director. It's actually the top uh, crew position in a live show, Okay. Um, aside from the director or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would be the guy cutting and mixing and switching all the sources. So. Wow. It's pretty cool. It's, hi- it's like stressful sometimes, especially when you have like um, a news or a sports show where there's things that can change, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, but it's cool. I I saw a video on Reddit and I mean, I, it's it's from this side. It's not from the industry side. So I'm sure you're going to correct me on some <laughs> stuff. But uh, the it was it was a video of the Oscars and it was just a minute of like right before they went to commercial and the intensity in the room and the calls and, and, and it looked like. It looked like a football play happening on a basketball court with a hockey game happening. Like there was just so much action. Is that a constant thing? Yeah, in, for in, sure. in any of those. Yeah, in- absolutely. So I mean, I can very quickly try and explain um, two trucks you might have on a big sporting event. Mm-hmm. So you've got just to break it down. There's obviously a lot more to it, but you have a director. Uh, you have a PA, which counts sort of bars on music or counts, you know, breaks on a regular show. Um, and then in that truck, you've got a director dealing with maybe like. 
1011 cameras on a, on a sports show. And then there's a second truck attached to that truck, which has all the video machines, all the replays. Okay. Um, yeah, so each of those video replay guys will have like four different cameras attached to his machine. And then when the, direc the director's busy cutting the 10 cameras, so that second secondary truck... So that secondary truck will just basically send them video feeds, right? Blue, red, green, orange. So there's pandemonium in the VT truck. I've got the best <laughs> replay. I've got the best replay, right? And then the guy in the replay truck has to put 10 different replay machines into four different lines to feed the main truck. And so it's very crazy. There's a lot that goes into it, and nobody really realizes yeah. that. <laughs> so, so would that be something that happens at like any live event outside of sports too? Like anything that's happening on TV that's live? Yeah, exactly. Something like the Oscars or... Uh, a music award show, you know, can be quite hairy. That's why I think there's a trend in those type of shows of having a 10 minute delay in case anything does happen. Someone drops they can a, roll a fuck yeah, shit exactly, when right. they shouldn't. Yeah, okay. They can actually roll out something different. Don Cherry says the wrong thing. It. Exactly, right? <laughs> Could have saved his bacon. <laughs> okay. <No kidding. laughs> yeah. And he, he argued for his delay. He was like, I don't need a fucking delay. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, clearly your job's gone, so yeah. I mean, you should have taken it, buddy. Mm -hmm. um, so you, you kind of cut your teeth in that. Mm -hmm. um, how did you find your way to the prairies in Canada? Yeah, that's an interesting story, actually. So um, I worked in live television for, okay. a, for a long time, as I said. Um, and then I decided to go traveling. Um, I did it for 10 or 11, 12 years, kind of burnt out and decided to go traveling. So I decided to uh, start teaching English. So, okay. Yeah. So I went overseas to South Korea. The Kings? Yeah. <laughs> the, the, yeah, exactly. Welsh English. A lot of, a lot of my friends had uh, something funny to say about that. You know, when a TAF's going to start teaching English. But. <laughs> I was just going to say. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so but, uh, you, did, you did the, the teaching I English? Persevered. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't the best teacher, but I had a lot of fun and it was a great way to travel. But in the midst of that, I met my wife, who's from Brandon. So, yeah. Oh. yeah so she, yeah, that's how, how, that's how that happened. I so someone wife. from Brandon and someone from Swansea yeah. met in South Korea. Exactly. And how did she pitch you on, come home? Yeah. Well, she didn't initially. We're both travelers and we both like to travel. So we, after we lived in Korea, we lived in Thailand. Okay. Spent two years in Thailand. We spent one year in Vietnam, um, a little bit of time in Turkey. And then we kind of got, you know, okay, at some point we're going to have to go home. Where shall we go? So we tried the UK, actually. Um, but we moved back there to... Uh, you know, they're not the best place in a very industrial area near Heathrow Airport. And I, I had a job and she wasn't my wife at the time, so she didn't. And I was like, yeah, it couldn't work. We can get married. And she's like, I don't want to get married for a visa. So, you know, one thing led to another and she went to the Maldives. So uh, as relationships sometimes go that way, we yeah. weren't sure we'd see each other again or what would what would happen. But, you know, we missed each other and I chased after her to the Maldives. And then this was my really romantic proposal. I was like, should we get married? She's like, sure. So we went to uh, Canada to do that. Smooth. <laughs> yeah, I love exactly. it. Should we do it? Should we not? Yeah, I mean, we can't just keep doing this forever. So, yeah. Okay, so then that, that brought you here. Exactly. Did you move to Brandon originally or did you um, guys land in Winnipeg? Got married in Brandon. Okay. At Lady of the Lake. Yes. Um, yeah. And I met my wife's family two weeks before I got married. So another untraditional kind of, hey, Doug, thank you very much. Uh, appreciate it. And basically just had to turn up like a rock star and everything was already organized for me. So. That's pretty great, man. Yeah. <laughs> and you've been here since? Uh, January 2012. I would, I, I would be a horrible Winnipegger if I didn't say what was your first win winter here. Like, yeah, well, actually, the wedding was on the coldest day of that winter, and I'd only got here three weeks before. So, yeah, I was definitely thinking, oh, my God, what have I done? <laughs> yeah, no, I can. Yeah. You know, like every winter we, I mean, I, I hate to sound so cliche, but every winter we're just like, what the fuck are we doing here? But I feel that it, like, and, and now you've, you've done a couple of them. It's, it's like a rite of passage 
to to live in this province like if you can survive minus minus 50 which is you know maybe only 30 degrees less than what mars is on a warm day then you know you're you're built for this right and you know canada uk that 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 stuff that's got history there too so yeah. it doesn't surprise me well it's an interesting place to live actually because um i ride a motorcycle as you, as yep. you noticed i just yep. turned up on one but uh it's kind of strange because every every end of the summer i put it away you know and then every summer i get it every start of the summer i get it back out again <laughs> so it's like it's almost like i forget how to ride and i have to fix something on the bike and you almost live this like you're in a kind of you, you're you know, seasonal here yeah it's right? interesting, if, interesting I'm, I'm sure it's not like that back home where you could ride your bike all all the time yeah exactly so okay interesting right. yeah it's a new way of life <laughs> Um, so we have your website talks a lot about the different service packages that you offer storytelling promotional videos documentary filmmaking um, was this what you had in mind before or did you did it evolve into what it is like you say that you went to school for one thing you came out interested in another right and that's usually the case right like four years of school or even two years of school that's a lot to say I know what I want now and it's going to be the same when I'm done. Um, so when you started Boogaloo, what did you have in mind and where is it now? I guess is kind of yeah. what that's I'm an interesting for. question. Yeah. So when I first arrived and it actually relates to what I was just saying about when I did first arrive in January, 2012, um, I'd been doing live TV for 10 years, you know? So I remember when I was in university using a PD 170 Sony camera, you know, the old thing with the DV tape and even tape to tape editing when I was first doing that stuff. So I'm pretty old. <laughs> when you say tape to tape, pardon my ignorance, That's is that okay. splicing tape? And then no, that'd be more film. But okay. uh, yeah, two V two VTR machines and a controller. And yeah, it's very techy and very boring and I could fill a whole podcast with it. But uh, yeah, so I mean, that's how I started doing it. So it was uh, when, when I finished my university course, Everything had only just started to move towards, you know, digital video production. Sure, yeah. So um, at the time, I was, me and a few friends in my university house were actually pioneers of uh, building our own PC and, and actually editing video on a computer. Oh, wow. Because at the time, the, the the university weren't even providing that. So uh, so we were like, let's do this ourselves. So yeah, that <laughs> was interesting. Pay a lot of money, but we won't give you the tools to do Yeah, your job. exactly. Okay. Cause it, well, it was quite new, right? So it wasn't really the way things were sure, done. Sure, yeah. So we turned up one day and we had a video that we'd shot on a blue screen and we composited something into the background and they were like, how the hell did you do that? <laughs> right? so, what is this magic yeah, screen exactly. you speak of? So it was pretty cool. Like, uh, yeah, that was a neat stuff. But then I went into live TV and I didn't really do that kind of thing for about 10, 12 years, you know? And yeah. then, then I went traveling and taught English and then I landed in Canada and I couldn't work for two years so I, I couldn't get a visa at the time actually most of the infrastructure that was dealing with those visas was uh tied up with the syrian refugees and stuff okay so right, yeah so i, I they, i'm kind of on the back burner not as important sort of thing which sure. is totally understandable yeah um so i had nothing to do with my time right so i was like well i might start shooting and editing again you know and uh the last time i shot and edited something it wasn't even in hd right so yeah <laughs> so i was like how big is a hd frame i don't even know so it was cool like it was really neat to start you know doing that again um but what I did notice was like there's a lot of people doing it so what can I do that's different yeah I, I had a lot of time on my hands so um I learned after effects you know um remember I bugged Doug Darlin once went into his office and said check out my effects and he was like yeah go back and do some some more and you know learning over here learning over there I mean yeah, yeah definitely okay and it was a totally new thing for me so I learned I spent a lot of time in after effects and then um I learned sort of something other than just shooting and editing. Um, and now that's kind of led to other things. I've got a color grade in Sweet and St. Boniface and, uh, you know, sort of more professional, specialized production, basically. Okay. And, and, and because you say you a lot of post-production, mm -hmm. if I'm correct. Okay. Um, I know what post-production is, but for people out there who have no idea, like there, there's, there's 
I'm I'm learning because of like like I've mentioned previously, I learned that this industry from the outside very sexy, very attractive. It's showcased in a certain way. And then when you find out how long some of these days take for you guys, it's like this is not sexy at all. Like this is hard work. It's hurry up and wait mentality, all these things. So what is post production for people who don't maybe know? Mm-hmm. Like what would what would you what would you define all the post production stuff that you do as? Yeah, and it's it's quite interesting as well because it does kind of depend on what level you're talking about it at. You know, because um, if you've got Camtasia or you've got I knew, uh, sorry, um, what's the editing program on an i on an iPad on a on a Mac? Sorry, oh, GarageBand. Uh, oh no, no um, yeah. iMovie. For example, exactly. Yeah, maybe I'll start that one again. Sure. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> it kind of depends on what level of production you're talking about post production in, I suppose, because uh, you know you can have um, iMovie on a Mac, you know, yep. or uh, you can have DaVinci Resolve. For, for professional color grading and post-production, then it can get even higher than that. But, uh, you know, in, in layman's terms, it's basically taking all the pieces of footage that you've shot, which is generally a lot nowadays because video is cheap, right? It's not yeah. like you're shooting on film or something. Yeah. Um, and you just got to take all the best cuts. That's the basic, 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 you know, explanation. It's a fishing expedition. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then the as it gets more and more complex, um, your video can end up going through more of a pipeline and end up in different programs and come out of those programs and end up in Resolve and the sound goes somewhere separate. So... You know, and one thing, um, you know, I've still got a place for corporate video. Like, I I need to make money. And yeah, it's yeah. Great, you you got to keep the lights on. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, one thing that does slightly jade me about working in corporate video is that that type of thing is not as important as it is to me, you know? Like, uh, I want to work on higher-end film production. Sure. Where the color grading matters and the sound matters and all this kind of stuff. So that's kind of why... I have moved into doing the higher end production, right? Like, uh, yeah, no, you, mm-hmm. you, you want, you, at the end of the day, you want to stand by what you're doing instead of like, just like I said, just to keep the lights yeah. on. Right. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, color correction. I have a friend, Steve Taylor, who's in the Winnipeg film industry and he's, he was doing a, a, a little series for YouTube and he mentioned color correction and it's on your website. And, and I, I'm curious about what the heck color correction is only because I look at the amount of money it takes to buy one of these cameras, like red, for example, like super expensive, very high end. Don't bother buying it unless you know what you're doing, right? It's just going to be a paperweight. So how come there's color correction after such an expensive camera is used? Like how, how is it, how do you guys not have something that does it all? And then you just have to edit it and piece it together, I guess. Yeah, that's a very interesting question. So um, there's so many different parts to it, like how a movie makes you emotionally feel. Yes. Like it's, you know, it's, it's in the writing, it's in, the, um, it's in everything, the music, the scoring, the every, like every tiny little part, right? But uh, one of the main parts, and one of perhaps the most impactful, is the color grade. Because uh, the way a movie looks hits you on a lot of different levels. Like it hits you subconsciously, it, you know, as, as it moves through scene to scene. A very bad example of a bad color grade or color match or color correction would be two shots that are shot in the same scene. One's a wide, one's a close-up. And as soon as it cuts between them, you immediately notice that one's brighter, one's less focused, one's sharper, right? So the very basic first step is to make sure everything matches in terms of brightness continuity. and darkness. Yeah, continuity, right? So otherwise it pulls you out of the scene and you lose interest and you're not engaged. So that's one that's so small part of it, yeah. yeah. Um, and then going way, way deeper into that, you can bring up a whole different emotional feeling in somebody if you put a bit more red in the shadows or a bit more blue in the highlights, you know? Like it can actually be a cold, a blue day is very cold and cold feeling, you know? A, a warm orange day makes you feel happy. So it's just it's that kind of thing. And those are the things that when you walk into the Avengers, 
just off the top of my head, you just you just forget that somebody spent countless hours doing right. Yeah. Like you just you know you know the on the when we had Doug on. It, there, there's, there's so many moving parts that he talked about after that you're getting into as well too, which, which I find super interesting that it's this shared thought of, of like production and post production and editing is where a lot of the magic happens, and just shooting it like almost shoot would shooting it be the easy part? It is, is actually is like it, uh, I mean what Doug talked to you about is probably extremely interesting because actually you know it's also the story and the, that's the way what we talked talk about the science of storytelling. Um, yeah, exactly. So there's a lot that goes into it. Um, that's another reason why I want to start the bigger production stuff is because, um, it takes lots of moving parts and it takes several people to make a difference between an amazing movie, like a Hollywood type movie or something on the way there. Oh, if you sit and around for the, the, the trailer and you look at like, I'm, I mean, i I'm sticking around for trailers cause I'm a comic book movie nut. So <laughs> I'm waiting for the, the, the end trailer credit, right. Yeah, for yeah. the next movie. Mm-hmm. But because I don't, and I don't know if that's a Marvel thing or a Disney thing to make you give a shit, but the, the, the city that is used to make a movie these days, like a big budget, hundred million dollar movie, a thousand people, mm-hmm. that's a small fucking town, right? That's yeah. Selkirk. That's mm-hmm. a, little, like, a suburb of Selkirk. And I'm, and, and it, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger bigger and and like you mentioned with the color correction like one like with me now i watch movies for technical aspects i'm paying attention more to that just because i'm like i'm i'm outside of the story right i'm i'm more interested in how the shot was done or how the camera angle was because i'm that that's i I, i'm i'm enamored but now i just want to see I want to learn more about the process, I guess. How the how? You should be careful you don't do too much of that because then you can't enjoy a movie anymore. But <laughs> do you have that problem? Kind of, but part of the skill of doing movies in this way is that you do you spend so much time on something that no one will ever notice. That's the whole point of working so hard on it, right? So that nobody will notice. I'm sure you've had that experience with audio as well. You know, you yep. can spend hours putting rubber bands on a clip so that nobody will even notice what you've done, right? And they won't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's Yeah, it all goes to waste because <laughs> yeah. I've sat here for hours being like, I know that's going to be annoying to somebody's ear. And I've changed it, but I'm like, I only know. Yeah. Right. And does, so does that make you a little OCD? Does that make does yeah, that, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the whole inherent thing of color grading is very OCD anyway. Like you often jump back and forth in the timeline 150 times to the same shot because you want to is the white quite right in that one or is there too much noise in that shot? And, you know, it's just uh, you got to be that kind of person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and Doug said that, too. He said, you got to be a loner and you got to like sitting in a room by yourself for hours, just yeah. con- like making this orchestra happen and yeah. conduct it all. Um, you said After Effects. And I have. VFX from your site like basically I, I looked at I studied you a little bit I, that might sound creepy but I was like if, I'm not gonna waste this motherfuckers time yeah. um, so when you say after effects or VFX I, I know what those are but how does that how does that process start and finish because it from from my lack of understanding it's it's time it's, it's painstaking right to, to to kind of add all those after shots and so where does how does that all work what is your what's your take on that yeah exactly and i mean i don't mean to keep going back to like i don't want to do corporate video or anything but uh that's another thing is why i want to be doing it for a bigger sort of marketplace is because it's 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 understood and it's uh creative freedom yeah exactly and people understand what it is which is better because uh you know you can spend more time doing the really fancy visual effects rather than explaining what they are in the first place but um yeah it's well visual effects to to explain it sort of basically would be uh anything that's not in the original camera shot. Okay. So like if you go back to, you said about using a red earlier on, um, the reason people use a red camera 
is for a couple of different reasons, but to explain some basic ones, um, you know, the, the sensor records the raw data from outside. Like there's no processing inside the camera really. It's all, it, it's all like the raw data from the chip, um, which is like shooting, if you've ever shot photography, Okay, it's yep. like shooting camera raw and then you put it into Photoshop and you can change everything about it. You yes. can change the white balance, you can change the ISO. So you can do that with a red camera, but 24 times every second, right? So yeah, so it's you a lot of data. You can fit in little, yeah, you, you exactly. can get really Yeah, you can change the ISO. Like if you shot something, um, and for anyone that knows a bit about photography, if you shot with an ISO that makes the image grainy, yes. which is just a signal to noise ratio thing, uh, you can change that. You just click a drop down menu and you go, I'll have 400 ISO instead of, 2000 ISO. It's as simple as that. Really? But, it, but then you need for that, you need a lot of bandwidth, you need a lot of, you know, heavy media, you need a lot of computer power, all that kind of stuff. So, but yeah, visual effects is anything that happens outside of the original image. Okay. Uh, and if you're doing something like compositing a green screen or adding something, you need all of that bandwidth. Like you need everything that's in the sensor in, uh, information so that when you do a composite, you don't get green on somebody's face or you don't get, so you need like the really high end, really big files. Okay. And that's what visual effects and compositing basically is. And that's uh, for, for anybody who, who isn't aware, is that where you would say put in like some sort of fake blast in the background or some, like you say, something that's not in the original scene, that's where you're adding all the big wows and the bams and the pals mm -hmm. and, 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 and the special effects. What, what is that kind of visual VFX special effects? Is that kind of the same? Yeah, they're similar. I mean, and again, there's a big sliding scale. There's uh, there's opening a, a file in Premiere Pro with a green screen background and keying it out, and it takes five minutes. And then there's like million dollar Hollywood movies on green screen sound stages where there's people flying around on green cables through the air, and then there's like hundreds of layers of, of special effects yeah, right? yeah but it's all basically the same kind of fundamentals you know like it comes down to the same science you know okay um yeah so you need the you need the high-end cameras and stuff for that it can also be really subtle things right like um color grading and visual effects uh are kind of like we spoke about with sound where you do do something for ages and ages spend five hours on something so that nobody will notice and it could be something as sim simple as a lens flare right like uh it just yeah. it just kind of on your subconscious level it actually communicates something to you but you don't really know what or why it just you know it's an all-encompassing thing of the film right like you just you just have a certain feeling about a film because of all those tiny little nuances you know so. that yeah i it <laughs> 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 I get it, man. Yeah. I will notice that stuff too. Like Shauna, my girlfriend, she will, she'll, she'll be the one to call out the, and, and I mean, everyone knows it now. It's the coffee cup, right? In the middle of the scene from game of Thrones. Okay. Right? It, that, that kind of laziness. Um, I now have an eye for, and then start looking at that stuff, which I didn't before I met her. So, uh, I, I don't, I don't know if I'm better or worse for it. <laughs> um, but, uh, you, have on your website and this is this is kind of where i wanted to get into the bulk of what you do you do documentary work and there's like the 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 documentary that stormed the world and i don't know what your opinion on it is and you can be as honest as you want but tigerland or no tiger king sorry tigerland, <laughs> tiger king erupted because of covid right now you get the story and then you get all the fallout after the story. So my question is, when you're making a documentary, how do you go about it? How, what is, because what is, we all know that there's a first act, a second act, and a third act. There's conflict, there's a climax, there's a story arc. Like these are the basics of making a blockbuster movie. But when you're making somebody's, you're taking somebody's life and you're putting it on screen, how do you do that? What's, what's the process behind starting a documentary? 
Yeah, that's a really good question, and uh, I haven't figured it out yet. But uh, <laughs> I can tell you some things I have figured out. Sure. Um, Tiger King was awesome, by the way. It like, was. Uh, and I think the reason that film, that movie, you know, that documentary was so good uh, was because of the the storytelling element. You know, like they uh, they followed a certain arc, and then oh, actually, this girl's a bad girl. Oh no, is it this guy? And it's just really intriguing, right? Like it's just. But is that my? I guess what I'm saying is that accidental, or is that in editing, or is that the truth? And you never like because I, I guess I always now that with all of the the cell phone images that you can put online, um, any any idiot knows that if it's if it's cut and then a new shot happens, it was edited, which means it's not true anymore. Yeah. So how do you how do you we'll start there? How do you stay true to the story while changing the way the story was told in post? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think actually you know, it's. Uh, it kind of depends. Like, uh, it, I'm, it takes practice. Um, we, I just shot my first, like I've had the, I'll start, I'll start with uh, some that I've worked on first actually. So, you know, I've been able to work with Frank digital on a couple of, um, documentaries. Doug um, said amazing things about them. Yeah, they, they're great. Mm. And they, they really show what a team of people can do, right? Okay. Like a team of people that have experience of making some documentaries. Then there's a big difference between my first one, which I'll tell you, tell you about in a little yes, bit, please. but, um, yeah. So, um, so I mean, but I, I so I learned something from working with them. Um, and then I've just made my first solo documentary. So I basically did everything on it, right? Like I had a buddy, Sean, who helped me with the writing, but um, technically, and he sh- was also the cinematographer for a lot of it. Uh, but technically I did everything else, really. The editing, the post-production, the color grading, the, the actual uh, story arcs too, really. We both worked on, but then I ended up finessing it. So um, it's, I learned a hell of a lot from that. Um, one thing that I did learn is that you need to kind of write your story first. Okay. So you do need to, it, it doesn't always go that way and you will actually, <laughs> so you sur- need to write the truth first. Yeah. You need to of kind of story. Well, that's what producing is, right? Like producing is actually writing a story first and it starts. Actually, oh, I thought it was just somebody with a lot of money who yeah. could tell everybody what the fuck to do on set. Okay, yeah. That too. Right. Well, they find the money. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so they don't necessarily have the money. They have the gift of the gab and they can find the money. They're so. people wranglers, right? Yeah, they know exactly. How to, they know how to bring everybody together. Yeah, but uh, writing a story is is very important to any kind of, uh, whether it's a commercial or whether it's a documentary, right? Like actually having a story is really important. It's actually important before you even get the money because that's how you get the money. You, you send pitch it off the story. To, yeah, you pitch the story to CBC or to MTS or whatever the case might be. Excuse me, too much beer? That's okay. We're, we're fast and loose here, buddy. Yeah, Burps are encouraged. <laughs> uh, and then you, um, yeah, and then once you've got that, then that helps you get the funding. And that's not really the end of the story writing by any means. But you kind of have to try and wrestle this crazy beast that is the documentary filmmaking. So you have to have a story to begin with. And then if it changes, you roll with the punches, right? Okay. But if so you don't have any idea off the bat, yeah, you're going to struggle to make sense of it, right? Like, that's the biggest part that I learned. You know, I post it's all over the wall. Um I'll tell you a little bit about my film. Yes, it, please. Yeah. It's about a guy called Justin McCabe. He's 50 years old and he's a motocross fanatic. Um, he's been a champion. At 50. In, yeah, exactly. He's Man, been his a hips champ- and knees must no, just... No, exactly. So we've got some interesting stuff in there. But he actually, uh, last year, the year before, I mean, I've been making this film for about two years now. So, really? uh, yeah, I mean... Then the last year or two, he's actually tried to compete in X Games with a bunch of athletes that are 25 years old. So, so this guy is <laughs> 50, and uh, his I'll show them young punks what I can right? do. Right, exactly. So his closest competitors are kind of, you know, are like 25 or something, and yeah. they're, they're all athletes in and the they've prime. All, they got sponsorship, you know, FXR, whatever the case might be. So uh, he's 
he was he's it's a really interesting story. He's from Portage La Perry, so it's local, so it fitted into the MTV mandate. Um, MTS or MTV? MTC. Sorry, that's okay. <laughs> the MTS mandate. It fitted into the MTS mandate. <laughs> Which, what what is there? Because we were talking before we started recording that that channel's got some really cool stuff on mm-hmm. it. So the, do they? It's got to be local. I'm guessing that's yeah. a big thing for them. Mm-hmm. The local part is definitely part of it. So initially, I just wanted to make a cool film about motorsports. Sure. You know, and I wanted to ride one of these things. That was one of my in jokes. Were you doing Justin. some heel clickers and Superman? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was my in joke with Justin the whole time. Is like, uh, you know, when this is finished, I get to ride one of these bikes. Right? Yeah, it's in my feet. And, uh, yeah, exactly. So um, <coughs> so that was kind of funny. But yeah, I mean, we took this to Kim. MTS um, and he's awesome like uh, before I actually made any serious documentaries on my own I wanted to make one that wasn't as pressured as maybe it would be on a bigger scale right yeah, so okay. like Kim was amazing as a mentor um, and we took them the idea and initially they were like we're not sure there's enough community stuff in this for a start the guy's going to be competing to uh, to qualify in X Games in the States right like in uh, in the mountains and it's not anywhere near here so how is this a local story so we you know we delved a little deeper into what Justin is what makes him a person um, his drive is definitely part of it you know he's got this crazy ambition to appear on the world's largest stage for extreme sports yeah. but he's also um, he's also part of the Lions Club he's also like uh, does a lot of charity stuff in his town so we've we found some stuff there which was great because we were able to take that back to MTS and say hey this guy is a community member actually so can we make our film you know so uh, I learned a lot about the pitching process and the waiting process and whether or not we'd get the money what was the waiting process yeah exactly well <laughs> I, I wanted to make this film anyway initially okay. it wasn't too promising we'd get any money off of anyone um, MTS have less films that they can make these days so I'm back in the days when it was stories from home they actually were able to make a lot more documentaries okay um there's there's not so many being made now so there's more mandates they have to follow and all this kind of stuff but i wanted to go ahead and make the movie anyway so there's a great organization in winnipeg called winnipeg film group yes and yes they rent cheap gear so and fantastic group yeah amazing so it's 100 bucks a year and then after that you can rent cameras extremely cheap so we had a sony fs7 which is probably like a fifteen thousand dollar camera uh, we're renting that for like how many people get to touch that yeah it's part of the winnipeg film group they have insurance so you know okay it's, it's all right cool. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um yeah i won't mention too many places i took that while i'm on uh, this <laughs> podcast but dylan's cool he knows that i'm you know <laughs> careful with the gear <laughs> but yeah so uh i rented some gear it was 40 or 50 bucks a day and i was like i'm gonna make this film anyway sure i yeah. want to make a movie and um, it sounds like a passion project yeah it has been the it's way over budget way over time but As they uh, all are. It looks awesome, though. Yeah. Like I, I, what I wanted to make, actually, was a film that doesn't look like uh, an X amount money movie that we got from MTS. You know, we don't, you don't get that much. It's a community. At the end of the day, it's a community movie outlet. It's great for people starting out or whatever. Um, but I didn't want it to look like that, you know. So I've spent two years on it, driving my wife mad, driving myself mad. But uh, it's going to look awesome. Like, I think it's going to look more like a Netflix film than a really? than an MTS film, you know. Like, that's a brave thing to say. That's, but, but hey, yeah. I, it, it, I, it's on record now. So, yeah. I, 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 by the, what you're saying, I, I kind of I want to see it. Mm-hmm. I, I really do want to see this. Um, when you were working with him, is there ever a time during it? Like, like, I guess everybody, there's you always hear someone say they should make a documentary about this. So, what? how much work went into talking to Justin before you realized there was a story there? Because the ones that people always say, well, they should make a documentary about this. It's flashy. It's big. It's interesting. Right. Like it's, you know, like the, the I've always said someone should make a, a documentary about the Manitoba social, right? How Manitoba has like, the, you've got your buck and does everywhere else and stuff like that. But the social is uniquely Manitoba. 
but how do you put that on screen? So I guess, when did you realize that there was a story about this guy? Mm-hmm. Well, Sean and I actually tried to make the story as we went along. Um, we started shooting before we had a, a, an actual you know, funding for it. Uh, so the story kind of had to change um, and there's various elements too. You know, it's just in this family's life. So you can't be like, uh, what are you doing right now? We're going to turn it with a camera crew and, you know, like be in your, yeah. like, be in your lives every minute of every day. So, I mean, it wasn't a very tricky um, documentary in that respect because um, the family were very obliging. Uh, and if and they understood if we said, you know, we have to put this kind of thing in it in order for it to get the money for us to make it. They were very, like, you know, very kind and helpful in that respect. Um, but what I've learned from not just this documentary, but I've worked on another one as well as a colorist, which was called Methamphetamine Community Under Siege. What's uh, that about? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, and the, the guy... Was Rob, that local too? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, oh, yeah. wow. So that was a... Um, you should let Brian Pallister see that so he believes that there's a fucking meth crisis in this province. Well, that, that documentary was by myself and uh, a film production company who is also new called Jezebel Jones Productions. Okay. Uh, and it won Best Web and New Media Award, a Best Short Doc Award, and an Award of Excellence Award. Well, fucking so, done. So that's been taken from... A, the guy himself, Rodney, is actually a paramedic. Um, and he, so he's seen this stuff, you know, in, in real life, right? Like he's dealing with it every day. Um, so he wanted to make a movie about it, always wanted to be a film producer. So he bit the bullet and did it. Same kind of thing, passion project. He basically funded the whole thing. Um, and then it won all these awards. So now we're moving on to another one and I'm working on it very closely with him. It's called, um, homelessness, a human rights violation. Yes. So he's going to make a trilogy of socially, you know, um, Social issue documentaries. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, that's a that's mm-hmm. an interesting way to make a series. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and he's got some serious interest of uh, a, a distribution company in LA. Nice. So uh, we're actually going to do very well with that second installment. I think the first one for him was kind of like Roblox was for me. You know, like he didn't necessarily hit the editorial he was bang on with and that's something that i would that's not really my strong point but i'm learning um what, what do you mean editorial yeah i mean if you're doing something as socially sensitive as like a methamphetamine documentary then you've got to uh do your research um and understand what you can and can't say yeah who you might who what groups of people you might you know upset with certain things so you've got to be very careful what storylines you follow and all that kind of thing right so so that okay so you go from a motocross guy who's it, it's basically his story it's it's intimate because it's his family and that's going to be put on screen but now you're tackling a social issue that affects many right just instead of the motocross scene so what what was that switch like because i can only imagine where you're having fun with the guy you're watching him practice you're watching him do his tricks you know he's going through the ups and the downs like it's it's your it's your typical um you know underdog story by the sounds of it mm-hmm. whereas now you're tackling a social issue that affects methamphetamine users the hospital the police the fire department the public like there's a lot there so like how did that end up working out mm-hmm. well i think from my point of view and there's a lot more that could be said about both of those different things but um from my point of view personally i think it's important to know your strengths right like and i know mine aren't necessarily in um understanding the stories and what you can and can't say and not so like knowing that rodney is good at that is is a strength he right? was the guy yeah exactly okay. so he can do that stuff um I have an understanding of, of some of it. I mean, I definitely wouldn't... Somebody said, can we put this in the movie? I'd definitely be like, no, if it's an obvious red flag. But, uh, you know, there are people that specialize in that, and that's more of a producer's role, too. Okay. So Rodney and I are a great team because he doesn't have time to learn the 15, 20 years of tech I've learned either. So, you know... It's so like we marriage. Break, yeah, exactly. So it's pretty perfect. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm learning bits of 
all of it along the way because there is always a venn diagram situation going on you know <laughs> like uh, such yeah. as life man yeah exactly <laughs> i mean yeah definitely in a place like a movie too when you've got to organize shoots and you've got to figure out which there's lots of moving parts up in an abstract concept and you've got to try and put it all together so um yeah i mean even in the in the motocross thing there was uh some parts of justin's life that were trickier than others right because uh he is also there, has is there an example you could give that's not too revealing yeah, for sure. I mean, he's a family man and he's got a business and he's 50 years old. So he's got three grown up kids. Right. So uh, how much money can a 50 year old guy put into a motocross passion before his wife starts to get really pissed off about it? Right. So, so you've got some. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You, you've got so, honey. What the fuck are you doing in the yeah. garage till four in the morning again? And we didn't show much of that in the movie because um, we didn't really want to. And we appreciate their time. And there's no need for it to be like a massive conflicty thing. But um, there is conflict in there. Like for a start, the it's a massive risk in the sport what if he like broke his back in a bike accident Done. so yeah there is some of that in there um but we didn't we didn't paint the picture too much of him and his family you know struggling with conflict or anything like that but it's there because it's a byproduct yeah i mean he's got a family and they're a big part of the documentary we've done interviews with his daughters and his wife um so that's a theme and you have to be careful with that because you're actually going into somebody's house right like you don't want to say to the daughters like is there any drama in your family? Are you a happy family, right? Like you can't just come out with that stuff. So, <laughs> and that's that kind of like back to Tiger King. Tiger, yeah, Tiger King. Tiger Lands the movie, <laughs> the Vietnam movie, uh, which is a great fucking movie, by the way. Um, which is also Joe Schumacher. May he rest in peace. Um, how do you how do you navigate that stuff? Because if you're gonna write um, it, when you're playing in the world of make believe, you can get away with tons of fucked up shit that people are like that wouldn't happen in real life but then you're now f you're now taking real life and putting it on the screen so um how do you remain objective with what you want to tell in comparison to the person you're interviewing like how do you how do you stay back from that and, and not be buddy buddy with them and be like, let's go motorbiking like how do you how does that work yeah and it's also a little more complicated than that because if it was just a case of uh getting what you wanted from the person it would be as simple as that right yeah. like you mean you can manipulate a bit or you can you can guide the conversation a little bit you can conduct the situation but there's actually more to it because there is uh a storyline involved and that goes back to where you actually came up with the story you gave it to the broadcaster the broadcaster tells you yeah that's okay or no change this or yes change that and then you also have to be conscious of what's going to happen at the end because if you stray too far from what you originally put on in the pitch you're going to take that back to your broadcaster and they're going to say, there's not enough of this. There's not enough of that. Can you change this? Can it's you change that? not what I paid for. Right. Then you've got to go back and shoot stuff again, or you've got to try and like somehow cobble it together. So, you know, like there's, is that hard to stay? Yeah, it can be because you might find something that's fucking gold, but it might not register with what you pitched. So then you have to make the creative decision to drop it. Yeah, exactly. So one thing that you never, never put in a costing for a job right is how long it's actually going to take it's one of the funniest <laughs> industries to work in in the world because you're like i think it'll cost this much let's see right and then you can spend two years on it oh shit it didn't uh you know <laughs> definitely but, uh, the, you, you learn from that along the way you're like okay i think it's a good time to take what we've shot or what we have in mind or what the changes are that are coming up to the broadcaster or to at least somebody with a lot of experience in the in the industry you know so it's good to keep your friends close to you and don't burn any bridges because other people that make films are, are your best asset right like you can be like yeah can you look at industry. this a minute yeah. like I, I don't know whether i'm going completely in the wrong direction or whatever so You're, yeah big peer group mm -hmm. i would imagine 
Um, was there anything in either of these documentaries that really opened your eyes to both industries? Like, I mean, it's that's a huge gap there. You've got methamphetamine, and then you've got motocross. The only commonality is the word M. So, what like what were you opened up to from some of these things? And other movies that you've worked on, like, do you <clears throat> is it is it different making a movie and learning about it than just stumbling upon it online? Like, I, I would imagine the level of intimacy that would go into a documentary and I mean, there's, you know, one of my favorites is The King of Kong. I don't know if you've ever heard about it. No. It's called A Fistful of Quarters, and it's the story of the three guys who wanted to be the world's best Donkey Kong players. It is one of the most riveting documentaries you will ever see. And I, I can imagine you go in with this this idea, but are you ever shocked? Are you ever, like, what, like working Hope with so. meth in the city? That's why yeah. you want to do it. Yeah, yeah okay, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I've... I've uh I t- didn't do as much of the editorial on the math documentary, more the post-production, right? So uh, the Venn diagram comes back into play because you work to s- with stuff together and you bounce ideas off each other. And, uh, you know, then you kind of... So I didn't really have any direct experience with um, the sort of stuff Rodney must have making that film. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, you do definitely learn along the way. Like when you get into the nitty-gritty of uh, documentary production, there's so many things that are like oh, I didn't think about this or this or this, right? Like from anything from cost of going down to Colorado to follow Justin to um, technical issues with dealing with, you know, so many files on an hour-long film, you know? Like it's just, yeah, you learn along the way. Um, And I think there's a couple of documentaries coming up that I want to work on. And one is a documentary about Thailand because I lived there for two years. And it's not so sort of... uh, clear-cut as you might think it's not like oh look how beautiful thailand is there's a lot of conflict in there about how unbeautiful some parts of thailand are uh, and some of the sort of shady characters you see yeah exactly yeah and i know a lot about it because i lived there for two years um and i met some very strange and interesting colorful characters over there so yeah so i want to take what i've learned from making a documentary and i want to actually make um a bigger one that involves international travel and i don't like an easy life you know so i'm not gonna go <laughs> out of the frame and into the fire you know <laughs> that's awesome yeah <laughs> my uh my girlfriend shauna did two trips to thailand and uh it that's where we want to retire. I've never been, but I've been sold on the fact that that's where I should because mm-hmm. I could take some retirement savings and all of a sudden be a millionaire over there, apparently. Like yeah. fresh fruit, soup in a bag, like just the, we watch the travel shows all yeah. the time and she'll be like, I've been to that square. I yeah. know exactly what's around the block from that corner. And go. I can only imagine like what you could open up if you went there with an actual attempt to, to tell the story of Thailand. Well, you touched on an interesting part and I'll give you a sort of sneak preview of sure, an episode yeah. of this if it ever comes about. But okay. um, yeah, you mentioned that you'd be a rock star over there with so much money you could do whatever you want. And actually that's a lot of people's biggest downfall. You know, They go there and there is no law enforcement and there is no people telling you what to do with your money. And there's a free f- like super influx of drugs and booze and girls and whatever you want, right? So... It messes a lot of people up. So Bangkok is what it looked like in the beach? Yeah, in real exactly. Life. <laughs> well, yeah, the beach has got some of this in it. It's actually a great movie to, to talk about the kind really? of stories I want to tell. But it's mo- I've never seen a documentary that follows a dark narrative like the beach does. So that's kind of what I want to do with it. That's <laughs> I would I would watch that many, many times. Yeah. Um, so it, what's, what's with this? I didn't agree to that shit in a documentary. Whenever a documentary comes out after... Um, People are always like, that's not what I said. That's not like, is, are they that unaware of they're being spliced and diced and they're being filmed and then they don't understand how it comes out on the, on the, on the other end? Is that like, is that something you're always mindful of when you're going in to tell a story about somebody is making sure that they're aware of where this is going? Like, is there a lot of babysitting? 
Yeah, I mean, humans are difficult, eh? Like, I mean, no matter what environment you're in. We're like, fucked. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, like if you have ever moved in with a flatmate, moved in with a friend and then you became not friends anymore or, you know, like those kind of things, right? Like just in life. Yeah. Like uh, it's very difficult to, to appease everyone, right? Like uh, being a manager definitely isn't everyone's cup of tea because it's hard frigging work keeping everyone happy. Yep. So there's definitely an element of that in in interviewing subjects about any given cons uh you know subject sorry right because they might regret what they said or they might f after the yeah, actual like shoot after you've shot it they might just they might go to the bar get drunk and have a fight with each other and not want to talk to each other again and then they don't want to be in your film together so it's just like well sorry you signed a release form so okay that's I'm making my film all right <laughs> you know? that's what i was curious about is the re the release form of the story that like because this isn't linear and you don't know the end and you may come across something that make you, makes you veer left and veer right and go, well, let's go down this road yeah. because we didn't plan for this. But it, like you say, it has to be part of the original pitch. So um, as long as it's in inside the bound, like in, in the boundary, right, mm -hmm. you want to go down it. But then all of a sudden you make this thing and they see it. You still get to go ahead with because they signed the release form. Is that is it's that cut and dry? You do, unfortunately. Um, and I don't know. Unfortunately for them, <laughs> I know I don't want to discourage anyone from appearing in the documentary ever. But uh, you know, and I would always like to think that I'd be a very nice person, no matter how big the budget is or how big my company gets. I'd want to sit down with people and be honest and explain to them. You know, you're signing a form that says we can use any anything you say and any images of you in any way we want. Really, I yes. mean, they have to trust you to an extent and. I wouldn't want to make a. I wouldn't want to lie about it. That would be pretty no. a pretty bad career move, right? But, uh, <laughs> I've, I've been with you for forty five minutes already, and I already know that you're not that guy. Um, but I just I always because it's a human element. It's not mm -hmm. a character. It's not written. It's not created. It's this is me. This is my story. How uh, am I really? Is it, are you really prepared once it's because it's it's one thing to be like let's do this, and then it's another thing where it's now. It, it, it's there forever right it's on record yeah and you have to um not people that are appearing in your film aren't necessarily going to know how a film gets made either so you kind of do have to mislead like it's like a white lie almost right like you have to mislead them a little bit oh, yeah. for the greater good you know hey, man lying is part of the toolbox yeah, in making exactly. movies. yeah in any job probably yes but uh you know anything in life but that's a whole other story but um <laughs> yeah <laughs> so like it's helpful to, to like not necessarily mislead somebody but manipulate them so that the story looks better and at the end they'll be like teary in the auditorium and they'll love what you did and they'll be like oh my god thank you so much so you know, you do have to kind of manipulate things a little bit as part of the joke. And, and you're making something, so mm -hmm. you, you've got to shape it. it. Manipulate's a strong word. I would say shape. Yeah, I would exactly. say lovingly caress in mm -hmm. the right direction. Curate, perhaps. Cur yes, there you go. Yeah, That's yeah, great, because so. <laughs> manipulate just makes We can edit that word out, right? Yeah, manipulate we, we just did. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. So, so yeah. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> I did mention at the beginning of this before we started that the whole purpose of this is to showcase Manitoba talent doing Manitoba things. So... First off, um, and we've talked about so many things. How many years have you been here? Sorry, I'm I'm horrible. Like, what's what's your timeline That's for okay. living here? 2012. 2012. Yeah. Okay, so you got eight years in Manitoba, eight years of working in film here. Um, what is different from back home compared to here? Like, what what kept you here in the industry? Excuse me. Let's start in a sec. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so basically I I didn't work in film at home, so uh, I don't really know kind of what the difference is. I have a lot okay, of friends that sure. did. So when I was working in live television, when I first started out, I started out 
working in sort of shopping TV and stuff, you know, like uh, which is a funny whole whole other thing. But uh, a lot of my friends that were camera operators. Did you just say home shopping TV? Yeah, stuff like that. Like yeah, yeah. like buy this ring. For There's tons of that in the UK. Really? There's like literally. You you probably have one here, like the shopping channel, TLC. Yeah, yeah. There's uh there's probably about twenty five cable channels like that in the UK. So that's a good place to start when you Holy first fuck. get a media degree, right? Like you go and work at a a shopping a jewelry channel. You spoke about jewelry, there's a channel there called the jewelry channel and it is twenty four hours no, a day jewelry. Twenty four hours a day. You can buy jewelry. So. Oh man. I yeah, would and have it's to be been, married in the UK. It's been running for ten years. <laughs> you know, that's the longest so on Roadblocks I uh used that's the Justin film. I actually needed a composer that would help me out with a few tracks. There's no budget for a real composer. Not a real composer, sorry, but there's no budget for a you know a, a, a real music yeah. budget, right? Yeah. So uh, he, he gave me some tracks that he'd already done before and just slightly changed them. Um, but he also wrote the music for the Jewelry Channel, uh, and it's the underlying bed for that show. And it's been going for 10 years or maybe 15 years now. It's like the longest playing piece of music in the world. It's a 24 hours a day Jewelry Channel. So it basically, that piece of music has been playing for like 15 years straight. Oh, the more you know. Yeah, there you go. It's crazy, right? So, Fuck. So some of my friends that worked in shopping TV, don't know how you're going to edit that segue together, but um, uh, they... Well, <laughs> hard and loo- fast and loose, buddy. <laughs> yeah, but they, uh, they work in film in the UK. So that's awesome because I'm able to stay in contact with people that do work in film in the UK. Uh, my sister actually works for BBC Radio London, and she's recently moved over to working uh, for Top Gear. So because she's in a really? union, yeah, she's in a union house. She's in radio. She's been in radio for 20 odd years. She wants to get into TV now. So she's already a senior producer. So it's very simple for her to kind of sidestep. I know some right? guys who would love to talk to yeah, your sister about so, that show. Yeah, you, maybe you can talk to her. Um, but yeah, she's a lot of the stuff she's, she can't talk about it, obviously. But uh, yeah, bound yeah. by contract. But she could talk stuff. about her other things. But yeah, so I do have some friends in the television and film industry in the UK. So I'm able to draw some comparison. And what's awesome about Manitoba is it's actually so new right like yes. uh, I, I kind of moved to the new world uh, like <laughs> 200 years after everyone else you know because <laughs> it's, it's it's like very young here and there's a lot of opportunity and i'm still not sure what route i'm gonna take like i'm having fun at the moment like yeah. i might end up becoming a, a an iatsi technician instead like one thing that i could definitely almost do now is work in, a, in the dip department or work in dailies or you know anything like that so uh, i might one day uh, I still have a few ambitions I want to try out first. Sure, you know? yeah. So, um, yeah, so, so th- th- I, that's what I think is the biggest part about Manitoba. There's a lot of opportunity here, um, and there's a lot of funding that comes with all this tax credit stuff. So there's a Those lot. Tax more credits f- are so delicious, mm-hmm. aren't they? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It makes yeah it makes your budget can almost be double by the time you get back. I've kickback heard that it. saying a few times mm-hmm. from a few different producers and PAs and stuff, and it's it's been a pleasure for me to work adjacent to it just because i was like you know what? Uh, maybe i'll jump from working where i work and, and and get out of sales and jump into the film industry because it would literally just be a phone call but i'm not the long days i'm not the crazy switches i'm i'm not the last minute changes like i would just lose my shit so being adjacent to it is crazy but you're right like the the talent pool here alone is yeah. is ridiculous well it's kind of funny you say that about the long days actually because uh that's one thing that I'm not sure I want to do in terms of the, the day-to-day sort of grind on big movie sets. 
But uh, it's funny, you know, one thing, a quote that I kind of vaguely remember is somebody saying something about an entrepreneur not being willing to work 40 hours a week for someone else, but he'll work like 20 hours a 120 week hours a week for himself. Okay. Right? Like, yeah, yeah, the opposite thing. When you're kind of starting out and when you're trying to build something or whatever, you're like, I don't want to do a nine to five job. But then you really think about how many hours and minutes you put into it and blood and guts and soul. It's a kind of ridiculous yeah, uh, it's, endeavor. <laughs> so it's three part time. Maybe you would prefer to actually just do the daily grind thing on a film set and do those 40 hour shifts or whatever. You know? <laughs> like, so, yeah, okay. yeah, that's a different perspective yeah, on so. it. But uh, it's a challenge and I'm, I'm interested to see what this province can bring because it's growing for sure. And There's a lot of story here. Mm-hmm. Like I feel that the, the, our, our cultural heritage, we're a melting pot, we're very, it, it's, it's a great place to live whether or not COVID happens because <laughs> I mean, we were landlocked and that was, man, like as that was coming in, I mean, even even to do COVID in Manitoba, like there's, you know, and I mean, how do you how do you sift through all the stories? I mean, do you do you look at do you hear somebody tell a story or do you look at a situation through a documentary filmmaker's eye now where you're like, is there more there? Could mm-hmm. we could we and like, how do you how do you pick your how do you pick your battles? Yeah. And an interesting thing as well, which might not really directly answer your question, but um, there's. There's also not that many people that are in a position to kind of go and make documentaries. And it's not just me. Like I said before, the important part about working with Rodney and I've got some other friends in mind. And we've been talking this last couple of weeks about putting our heads together on some bigger stuff as well. So there's various people that I'm going to collaborate with in the not too distant future. And they have different kind of opinions and perspectives and all this kind of stuff. So we make quite an interesting melting pot of our own in, in a terms of our production company. Yeah. Because um, I'm from the UK. So my ideas are sometimes perhaps not really very Manitoba. Um, but hopefully I bring something unique in a different sense. Um, and then the, some of the people that I'm working with, Rodney's a paramedic that wants to retire and become a film producer. And he's done very well with lots of international awards and now has international distribution on one of his... Uh, film so that's like amazing congrats Rodney yeah exactly and then I've got two other friends Sean who helped me with the last documentary and another buddy Scott and we're thinking of working together on um, you know bigger stuff as well so Scott's done a lot more producing with CBC so he knows the people to talk to and how to do that Um, and then Sean's got some really cool local ideas like he's great at taking an abstract local concept and turning it into a a documentary so we've all got our unique strengths like mine is, is that I've been a techie for like best part of 20 odd years right so you i play know, both sides of the fence yeah but more of a technician though that's for sure like um i like the story idea and the thailand one comes from um a personal journey that i went on and i have a really cool story to tell there so uh, it'll lend itself better to me and i'll find it easier to write it yeah because i actually have already been there i know it yeah you've so, experienced it so mm-hmm. you're not trying to live through somebody else's exactly. past yeah which i am sometimes a little in the editorial side of manitoba like i can't tell a story about inuit art right so yeah you know, but uh, yeah, I can definitely bring what I what I know about production into it, and it'll hopefully be a killer way to tell the story. You know? <laughs> what are some of yeah. your uh, your your go to documentaries that people should know about? I yeah, know. I mean, Tiger King would probably be the one I'd mention because <laughs> it was like recent, right? But how fu- wasn't wasn't that just like wasn't it just so fucked up? But yeah. s- like you couldn't. It was it was the perfect car accident. You just couldn't turn away. Mm-hmm. I would. Well, I want to know what's happening to that guy too. I wonder if there'll be a follow up. But. Did you see the the little the little thing they did with uh, oh he was one of the actors from Community? Um, I did see that. It was kind of like a, a live podcast thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah ba- really. But then they said they were going to try to do another one with where kind of like um, an epilogue, I guess would be the best way, right? Like yeah. some sort of closure where like everybody just we're like, okay, yeah, he's arrested because like he'd already he's already in jail, right? As we're le- as we're finding yeah. out about <laughs> the documentary, so really you're just playing catch up at that point. Um, but any, like, what else are you has really kind of? Yeah, I mean, I like. Uh, I actually because 
documentary filmmaking is like kind of a new thing for me. I really like um, really messed up documentaries. I know so that's, do I. Yeah, I like the ones like uh, Don't Fuck With Cats and really fucked up crazy stuff like that. You know, like, Don't uh, Fuck With Cats was mind-blowing. Yeah, it was. It's just like... And then you were like, oh, that was that guy. Yeah. The guy from Quebec who went and did all the crazy shit. Because at the beginning of it, you're like, okay, you're an internet sleuth. I get yeah. that. That's cool. But then you're like, oh, the, the, the guy who went across the world. And then, and then you, you get into like yeah. his online personas. Like, yeah, it's it, really weird, eh? It's so strange. Yeah, I like all those. Nuts. I like all those very, very gritty, real documentaries, you know? Like, uh, it's funny, I'm turning into my dad. He would never watch anything. He hardly ever watched TV anyway, but he would only watch TV if it was a true story. Or he'd only watch a film. Education. It, he'd only watch a film if it was a true story. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Like and, big uh, biopic. Yeah, yeah. If you told my dad, you're halfway through a film and my dad's really not interested. And you're like, no, it's based on a true story, Dad. He would t- change his mind and he'd be really into it and he'd watch it. Kind of an evil trick I played on him a couple of times, you know. <laughs> I told him that the, the Green Mile was a true story and he was really into it. <laughs> you're an Until asshole. the guy starts it. like... <laughs> Like the flies coming out of his mouth or whatever, right? And he's like, this isn't a true story, you little bugger, you know? Um, <laughs> have you worked anywhere else in Canada besides besides Winnipeg? I have actually, yeah. I went to Toronto for a year. Okay, so uh, what's Toronto and Winnipeg? Like where, are you compar- like, where would you draw your pros and cons to Winnipeg and Toronto? For sure. So we talked about Winnipeg being an interesting place, kind of a blank canvas for film production and documentary making and things like that. And Toronto is is not necessarily saturated, but to go in there and make all those contacts, you need to like... Do a lot of research, live there a long time, et cetera, et cetera. So that's one part of it. And then um, another thing about it is it just reminded me of living in London. And when I was 21 years old and I first moved to London to work in live TV, I loved it, right? Yeah. Clubs are open all night. It was yeah. a party town. It was like, this is awesome. But after the, after the years went on, every time I went back, it would be like a little bit i'd last a little less long there before i'd leave again right like i'd go back for three years and then i'd yeah so like and this happened with toronto so uh um i when i first moved to canada i started looking into the live tv thing because that was kind of what i did before um there's one company called dome productions they do all the like jets hockey and everything else and there's another company that were called trilight tv and are now part of a big European conglomerate called Media Pro. But actually, I went and did a contract for uh, Trilight TV, which is what they used to be called in Toronto. Actually, at a gaming studio. So it was an eSports television show. So if you imagine uh, Entertainment Tonight Canada, it was kind of like that. Okay. But it was about eSports computer games. So all these Twitch gamers would come on the show, and it was really cool. The new rock stars. Yeah, no, it was awesome, because I went out there, and I actually designed and built the whole production studio so like i decided we're gonna have a crane camera and we're gonna have these um you know these uh plasma screen tvs and stuff and they'd already had they already had these ideas but i helped the the product the facilities company implement this stuff and then i was the switcher on the show as well oh, nice. so we kind of developed the the format from scratch because we went in the first day and there was no show right so like it was it's awesome doing a, a brand new show like that yeah because you, you hit it's a your sh- baby yeah you hit a lot of walls but you know like uh, it's fun but in the meantime my wife was still here she has a good job in t- in t- in teaching she works in uh, the louis real school division okay so for her it was a good idea to stay put and see how that went right so we were in a long distance relationship at the time um she came over to toronto to visit me a couple of times that's actually when we consummated our kid so uh <laughs> okay he was born during that so he they're was, an outsider <laughs> yeah exactly so she planned her trips carefully to toronto so to speak <laughs> <laughs> that's funny yeah so um she yeah so she came over and then that happened and uh you know, we weren't really sure what to do, but in the end, she's got a really good job here, so so I came back. So uh, actually, that show ended anyway, um, so it was kind of good I did. And now that company that bought them, Media Pro, they actually do the uh, the soccer 
the Vala Soccer. Oh, okay. So I work in the truck on those anyway. Nice. It's kind of funny. That company from Toronto came here to do that. I made some contacts there. So now I switched to soccer shows and I'm back with my wife and kid who's now a year and a half old. So. Are you saying soccer for me? Is it really footy? Yeah, I, I was <laughs> living in Canada now. I can't yeah, say right? football anymore. <laughs> they get confused. They go, yeah. like the Bombers? No, I know. I'm talking about the original The sport. only time that's a problem now, you can tell I live here and I don't live at home anymore because the only time I get pulled, pulled up on using the word soccer is when I talk to a British mate, right? And yeah. that's less and less these days. So. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah, Winnipeg's not it. Football doesn't even exist to me that word anymore. Most of my UK mates would probably like, you know, kill me for saying that. Yeah, they take you out back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You probably know a couple of hooligans. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right. Well, this is where we get to um, my favorite part of the show, um, which is where uh, uh, did you ever watch Inside the Actor's Studio? Do you know the, the show I'm talking about? OK, so a gentleman named James Lipton, he was a film professor, I think, at NYU. OK. And he uh, he used to he'd interview an actor. So it was inside the actor's studio, finding about their craft, about their process. Um, he passed away a couple of years ago and uh, he's got a set of questions that I just absolutely loved that when he asked because they were on the spot and they were fun to do. So until somebody tells me I can't, I'm going to continue doing it in honor of James Lipton. These are not my questions. I did not invent them. I am just carrying the torch. <laughs> cool. So we will start with what is your favorite word, Simon? This is going to sound a bit weird right off the bat saying the word, but daddy, I think. And daddy. There's no sexual in common connotation <laughs> to that. It's because my kid says that, and it's his first word, and he says it to everyone, even when I'm not around. So he's okay. just like, daddy, daddy, daddy. So I love that. <laughs> that is my word at the moment. That's a great word, because yeah. he's thinking of you when he's not around. Sally. There you go. <laughs> um, what's your least favorite word? Probably something, you know, to be like spiritual and all that. Probably something like negativity. You know? Okay. Don't want to like, it sounds like hippie-ish but that's fine no you know? that's we need more positivity in the we world do. so I and get it's it. hard to it's hard to be positive all the time and so yeah negativity is something you know we don't want to have if possible so. being a filmmaker i imagine a lot of walls mm -hmm. right you, you you really gotta just shake it off it was a bad goal move on learn from it carry on right mm -hmm. is is that something that a filmmaker like Whenever you hear about the crazy jobs in the world, and they're all like, "If you want to be a restaurateur, you really got to be in it. If you want to be a filmmaker, you really got to be in mm -hmm. it. This isn't like this isn't part time, right? This is the major leagues. Do you find that if you don't have a crazy sense of creativity and the ability to have a like dump truck loads of patience, like it's those are required. Yeah, and that's not the only thing you need either, really. You need a wife with a dump truck full of patience too, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, positive mental attitude is hard enough to keep positive on your own. So you need other good people around you or you can't. You, you know. need that lift. Yeah, yeah. exactly. No, so. I totally get it. I had a day-to-day, -day and it, as soon as I'm, I'm on the phone with the wife going, like, get me out of this funk, yeah. please. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm selling my <laughs> shit. I've had enough. You know? <laughs> Uh, Negativity is only my least favorite word because I don't like it when it enters my own brain, you know. So. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> yeah, get out of get out of my brain. Exactly. Um, this is not by any means sexual, but what turns you on? Uh, energy, probably, in, in the same vein of thought, you know, like yeah. uh, other people's positive energy, you know, like other people's kind of zest for what it is that you're doing, and you know, like uh, it's contagious. Yeah, exactly, and yeah. that helps to counteract the other. The previous question, you know. I've heard by proxy from from film friends who shall not be named that there are good sets and there are bad sets, and if there's a, if it's a good set, that energy can be felt, right? Like it's it's this weird sense of creativity that everybody's kind of like bouncing off of. Is that something? Mm -hmm. Is that a true yeah, statement? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm, okay. Totally agree yeah. with that. Yeah. All right. Uh, what turns you off? So can't use negativity again. No, exactly, <laughs> and uh, it's it's similar, but it's not quite the same. Sure. You know, like. Uh, slogging and grinding on something that's not really getting you anywhere that really turns uh, me off you know like and it has to be done because it's part of the process but sometimes 
you feel like you're walking through treacle and you just can't get your foot your feet out of it right yeah. so uh, that really turns me off definitely okay so rather, i like the running part, in running in place that's the one exactly man i like the bits when you're making success and it's all coming together and everything's awesome and then yeah you know but i don't like the parts where it's not <laughs> yeah and, 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 and it's so like be probably being a self-critic right because it's your it's your thing you're making it nobody else is really involved i could imagine that that can be a little bit of a rut mm-hmm. right okay sure. uh what sound or noise do you love so i've been spending too much time inside definitely with the latest vocational you know journey of color grading or whatever so mm-hmm. uh probably something outdoorsy like rain in a tent you know, because I don't get it to be outside. Yeah. Anymore. You know, when I, I met my wife traveling and I love to do outdoorsy things. And yeah, the sound of snow or rain on a tent when you're not inside is awesome. You know, like when you actually can hear you're safe and dry, but you're still outside in the rain. It's awesome. You're uh, like a millimeter away from the yeah. wetness. But yeah, no rain on anything is car window even, you know. Yeah. At a McDonald's drive through. It's still pretty poetic when yeah. you're in the right sort of frame of mind. <laughs> Fuck, you're deep. <laughs> <laughs> Shouldn't have uh, had that spliff before we started. Right? <laughs> uh, what sound or noise do you hate? I don't know about this one. Polystyrene. Okay. Yeah. All right. Like the, the crinkling <laughs> yeah, of it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like kryptonite. For Superman, it's just, yeah. Oh, I can see that definitely. <laughs> yeah. um, it's just it's 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 an it's not a natural product, and it makes an unnatural noise. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what's your favorite curse word? Pretty obvious. Fuck. Pretty average. It's got to be the F word. I think they're scientifically proven to be everybody's favorite curse word, isn't it? It is. It it really is. And you and you and Mr. Darling have that in common. We went over the the nineteen different ways fucking be used. There you go. When we were on it's that an intransitive verb. It's a noun. Yeah, it's everything. Yeah, right? pronoun, adjective. You got yeah. it. <laughs> uh, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Uh, well, I was in the middle of doing this actually before I got a barotrauma in my ear, and I also got dengue fever in Thailand. What's dengue fever for those who don't it's, know? Yeah, it's like malaria. Really? Almost, yeah, it's a similar disease, I think. But what happened with me was you, um, you, yeah, you start losing your white blood cells or the platelets or whatever they call. I'm not very scientific, but yeah, your white blood count starts going down. Your white blood cell count. Your immune starts, system starts. Yeah, to your suffer. platelets. So uh, they put me on an IV for like two weeks in Thailand. So I'm having like, uh, I think when they first tried to take blood out of my arm, they couldn't get any blood. It was like treacle. So it was like, there's no, it, it was sludge. No, yeah. So I was dehyd- really dehydrated. So they put me on an IV with electrolytes and wa- water and glucose and all this kind of stuff. And then stayed in hospital for two weeks. But at the time I was in the process of becoming a diving instructor. So, really? Yeah. So that's what I really, that was a profession oh. that I was like, that we'd like to do. Diving um, in Thailand. Yeah, exactly. Oh so, my God, well, man. Well, teaching in Thailand was great because we didn't have to do that much work, you know, like we basically had a lot of time off. So I'd spend weeks at a time down on the one of the Thai islands learning how to dive. And I thought this would be a really cool thing to do as a as a job. Uh, one other thing that entered my mind also was, you know, videography underwater. But um, so one of those things, there's not much money in diving, though. There can be if you really, really, really passionate about it and you're good at it and you spend enough time with it. Like there's a videographer in town. His name is Dave Godet and he does a lot of underwater video stuff. OK, um, but I also got a barotrauma at the time. Like I was uh, training to be a diving instructor. So part of that was, you know, you have to teach people how to dive or you have to be uh, a supervisory character underwater. So I had a Thai girl who was diving with me and she t- tried to go down too fast. And I, I went after her because I was a little worried she was, you know, going to hurt herself or whatever. So and I popped my my ear at the same time, like I wasn't able to equalize as quickly as I needed to. So I got a buildup in my ear and then I got a barotrauma, which is an ear, inner ear damage. So it, but oh. I can still dive. But um, every time I dive. I seem to get a little bit of a block in this ear. So it's not something I can do. I'll keep doing it until, 
you know, I might get it. Actually, I might get it checked out before I next dive. But I've been diving for like five years since, and I'm able to dive. But I always have a blocked right ear when I do. You're like the Rocky of diving. Yeah. Eventually, like, you're just gonna have to stop. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so I can't dive. I couldn't dive every day. That's for sure. Yeah. So I mean, a job I'd love to have done would have been a diving instructor or an underwater videographer, but it's not a thing that I can do now. What's so. the deepest you've gone? For about 35, 40 meters. So really? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. That's In like 130, 140 feet. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, 32, 33 meters is probably where I was at. But they, it's called a deep dive. You do it with Paddy. And uh, one of the really cool things about diving to that depth is they do a little test with you. Could be like a code lock on the surface or uh, a little equation that you know how to do on the surface. They have to test that out first. I'm pretty crap at math. <laughs> <laughs> but once you can do that, they take you down to 32 meters and they see if you still have the concentration to actually do that because you're like drunk on nitrogen. Like you're like, kind of like, oh, look, puffer fish. You're like, <laughs> you're just like, I'm, I've got ADHD anyway. So you can imagine me when I've got nitrogen narcosis. I had well. a feeling you did because yeah. <laughs> a pirate sees a pirate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, it's pretty cool though. Yeah, diving's awesome. I would recommend that to anyone. I've always wanted to. Like, mm. and I'm I I I've gotten the travel itch from from Shauna later in life, and now I'm like I I really do want to get underwater and you know see a giant puffer fish or turtle yeah. or. Well, a diving course is three days, you know, and it's cheap as chips in Thailand, so you should do it. That I <laughs> I like chips too. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what profession would you not like to do? Uh, we call them traffic wardens in the UK. You okay. The traffic officers. That yeah. going to put tickets on your car. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. You're making everybody's day bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Totally. Yeah. Like, no, you're like the weather guy, yeah. right? You're, you're always wrong. You're never right. You know, fuck. Okay. Yeah. The traffic warden. I mean, there's a, there's a scene in a movie, uh, Snatch, I think it is. Yep. Where, uh, they get a traffic warden in the back of the van, eh? Like, I think they steal a van yes, or something. Yes, they do. And there's a traffic warden in the back, and he's just like, I fucking hate traffic wardens. And they, like, <laughs> jump in the back, and they start beating the shit out of him. So, exactly. Says it all. Question, <laughs> now, because you're from, you're from South Wales. What the fuck is that accent? The one that I just did? No, yeah, that's... Pikey. Oh, okay. Is that an actual, is that is that movie, or is that based on some slang somewhere? Is that from Snatch? Or... Yeah, that's from Snatch. Oh, yeah. No, nope. yeah, it is from Snatch, yeah. Yeah, or yeah. Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Well, Pikey, I mean, I think, but I might not be correct, is just like a, a Chav accent. So, you know, like a hillbilly, a hick, okay. a, a council houses sort of dweller, that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, we have a word in the UK, it's called Chav. And that means uh, council houses and violence. So, okay. Yeah, it's not a very nice term, but uh, <laughs> the, the actual you know, acronym and what it means is maybe worn off and people just call people chavs very flippantly now. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's what a chav is. So I would say a pikey accent is probably kind of similar, right? Like it's very common sounding and I don't like to stereotype and all of that kind of thing. But it's yeah, fast, it's people but I that have <laughs> five kids so they get more money from benefits. Ah, like uh, okay. That's kind of what I would probably say a pikey is, but I might be wrong. My favorite scene in that whole movie is how long for the sausages? Six minutes. You, you said four minutes. You said six minutes four minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that opening scene with the trailer awesome. gets me every time. Oh, yeah. So is that Brad Pitt's in that, right? Brad He's, Pitt's oh, in Oh, yeah. Snatch, so yeah. Pikey would Fucking definitely Fucking dags. Be, yeah, Thanks. Pikey yeah. would be a, an Irish. Uh, is he Scottish or Irish? Not Irish, right? <laughs> It'd probably a, be an yeah. Irish. Okay. Uh, an Irish caravan park type of person, right? I think that's what a pikey accent would be for sure. Okay. All yeah, right. yeah. That fixes that fits with the kind of chav thing I was saying too. So yeah, it's all. I'm I'm feeling same. more confident in my initial <laughs> answer. <laughs> we don't fact check here, buddy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Last question of the day: If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? I forgive you. I'm sure lots of people have said that. <laughs> Simple and easy, man. Yeah. No, definitely. I get it. Yeah. You're allowed in. 
Yeah. Come on in. It's okay. Yeah. Don't worry. Beer's that way. You're safe now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're safe now. You can stop running. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Simon, uh, what? Do you want to tell people about what you got coming up? Please let everybody know where they can find your stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the biggest one is there uh, is no roadblocks, just detours, which is going to be available soon on Bell MTS Five okay. TV One. So uh, I'm in the middle of color grading the first episode. Yep. Um, so basically everything else is done. Got a good friend Clint Chaboy who's going to do the audio on it. So uh, yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be awesome. I'm really excited to have it play first of all on Bell MTS Five TV One, obviously, um, but then. The great thing about the agreement with Bell MTS is it's 30 days. Oh. Uh, and they're going to, it'll still be on 5TV for longer, but you're allowed to do what you like with it. So that's, that's really nice. cool. Yeah, it's yeah. very, very cool. Um, so we want to, just for fun, we're going to tour it at a bunch of uh, festivals. Yeah. You know? Like I want to take it to some snow festivals in BC if possible, like uh, ride one of those snow bikes again. I did get to ride one actually for the fourth is that episode. Is the one with like the skis on the tire? Yeah, that's yeah. what the whole thing is about. Yeah. Really? So there's a ski on the front and a tank track on the back, singular. It's a dirt bike on snow. So it's really cool. But I got to ride one in BC because the last, well, I, w- I don't want to give the game away, but yeah, I did get to ride one out there. So That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So. Would you take this to like Telluride and 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 uh, like Tribeca and stuff like that? Yeah, Would you exactly. submit it to stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, I'm going to try and get it wherever we can get it seen. Okay. So it's all shot in 4K. It's all shot with the Sony FS7. So it's like going to look great on a big cinema screen and yeah, so uh, I want you to when it's out. I want you to send me all the information about it. We'll throw it up on our page so we can help you support cool. it in any way we can. With our, we've we've got a base. It's not huge, but what we do have, mm-hmm. we we love very much. So yeah, I mean, if you uh, if people want to see a page that I've put together about it, yes, uh, it's not that fancy, but it's just um, www.boogaloofilm.com okay. forward slash no roadblocks, just detours. I think actually. If people want to see it, they can just go to my website, www.boogalooFilm, and then there's a tab on there that says in production right now. So they Perfect. can find it there. And I'm putting up some quite interesting videos, actually, which is just like behind the scenes things. Yeah. Um, there's not an, another big part of actually making a documentary is uh, is the social media and the meta projects that come with it. Like, I really li- would like somebody on the next projects that we're doing to to actually shoot behind the scenes stuff, probably. Sure. But you're too bu- you're kind of too busy most of the time making the thing itself, right? Like, so you don't have time to produce a whole yeah. other meta project, too. You got your but, A uh, roll, your B roll, and yeah, then your, your D roll, Z roll, right? Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I put together a bit of that. So, one of the cool cameras that we used on this uh, motorbike thing were. Um, how, we were thinking at one point, how are we going to get up and close and personal with the riders, right? Yeah. Like, because uh, we don't have a huge budget, we haven't got any helicopters or cameras or anything like this. So I got, I bought a GoPro 360. Kay. And what's really cool about that is you can, you can get into where that thing sees, and you can actually take a flat image from anywhere in 360 space. So what you can do is you can mount a camera on the handlebars, and then you've immediately got a shot of the dude's face, a shot of the ski, a shot of the side, a, got a shot of the other guy crashing to his left. You can actually cut a show out of one camera. So, really? Yeah, it's pretty cool. That's so awesome. I showed a little behind the scenes on how you do that um, okay. and what we use that for. So when we went down to Colorado and couldn't get in the middle of the track, whatever the case might be, we've got this 360 camera getting a shots of everything. Um, and then just other stuff like some of the visual effects that I've done. So I did some pickups after the fact where I've kind of, you know, composited Justin's family into photo frames for little segue sequences. Yeah, and yeah, stuff. Yeah. So just like how I, I've just kind of broke down the nuts and bolts of how you do that. Like, uh, this has been done in Resolve with a green screen, or this has been done with a 360 camera, and some people might find that interesting. Like, I would find that yeah, interesting so. because it's it's the it, you know they say it's not always about the end, it's about the journey, mm-hmm. and and how you make film. Like there there's there I, I meant to mention this earlier. Um, did you do you watch anything? Do you watch The Mandalorian? Do you know? I don't actually know. Okay, so the Mandalorian got together with Electric Light 
and Sound, okay. which is Spielberg's old company, I believe. Don't quote me on that. Industrial Light and Industrial Magic. Industrial Light and Magic. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Fuck. ILM. <laughs> ILM. Yeah, of yeah. course I'm going to fuck that up in front of you. Um, anyways, they got together with a video game company, <clears throat> and they figured out... I've got the link on my... I'll, I'll send you the link after this, but they figured out how to render live background image that creates a 3D look. And they started it on Mandalorian... Westworld last season picked up on it, oh. ran with it. Favreau, John Favreau, uh, he basically invented it with ILM. Mm-hmm. And what it is is instead of a green screen being there and the actor not knowing what's behind them, they can in live time render the image on the wall, make mm-hmm. it look 3D. So now the actor, even though the wall is flat, the actor has an environment to draw inspiration from. Huh. And it can be changed in yeah, live yeah. time you so they just it around, yeah. plug in okay we're doing the next scene we stay in this room we change the walls to this look mm-hmm. and then we start filming yeah actually i did read something about that that's actually very interesting um and <coughs> i don't know whether it's the same kind of tech but there's an the one movie that i've been waiting to come out for ages this is completely off the topic but uh avatar the next avatar yes because like there's some underwater motion capture in that like kate winslet's free diving and like it's all the stuff I like. It's got diving in it. It's got motion capture, but it's underwater. Like, really cool 3D stuff. Yeah, it's going to be neat, that film. Yeah. He, Cameron just, he's like, I, it, we, they don't have it. Let's just invent it. Yeah, it's going to always push the boundaries. It's pretty amazing. That's <laughs> great. Yeah. Simon, this has been a fucking blast. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate it. I... I'm a little nervous about podcast blind dates because that's exactly what this was. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for being such a lovely guest and sharing some of your story with us today. That was fucking fantastic. I will be I will be waiting with bated breath for this documentary that you're making. It sounds super interesting. Awesome. Thanks um, for having me. I really appreciate it. Ben, come back. Come back and play the game show with us sometime. We'll we'll have some fun. Cool. Yeah, I'll bring some of my friends that I've been talking about. Please do. Awesome. All right. Everybody, it's been a blast. You know where to find all our social media. Uh, Thank you for tuning in to another episode, and we'll be in touch. I've been Michael Petro, and this was... Simon James. Bye-bye.